0: Uh, have you got a phone with you today? Yeah? Yeah? You want to get it out? Just in in readiness? Maybe you've got your Bible on it. But uh, I want to say right at the beginning, this is where I want to go. I um, I want to help us help those around us. I want us to help those who hear our voice or maybe read our words to realize that they are special that they're liked, that they're loved, that they're thought of. You don't, I, and so I'm going to encourage you through my talk this morning to feel free um, to text somebody or even just make a note that you need to text somebody some words of life. It doesn't have to be biblical. It just has to be words of life. Because, you see, what we speak, the words that we speak are either life-affirming or death creating. We speak words of life, or we speak words of death. And, um, and I want to take you through uh, 1 Timothy, where Paul does a dad chat. See, Paul and Timothy are co-workers, co-laborers. Um, Timothy is young, Paul is older. And uh, Timothy has been shadowing Paul in his journey, and then Paul leaves him in a place called Ephesus to minister, but I just want to kind of lay a little bit of a, uh, a timeline for you so you understand that Timothy has walked with Paul for quite a season. And, uh, and when he gets this letter, 1 Timothy, it's quite a few years down the line of him being in ministry, but it's a battlefield. And so Paul has written this letter to his son in Christ. And he wants to speak life over him. He wants to affirm him. He wants to build him up because he is in a hard place. Okay, so this is the, the kind of thing that... Um, Paul is wanting to encourage Timothy with. He's the kind of letter that I've kind of written a little bit of a note that I might write to my Timothy that might be called James or he might be called Kate. And it might go something like this, based on Paul's letter to Timothy, the first letter. And it goes something like this. Dear son, daughter, friend whoever. There's a war against you. Their weapon, their weapon is their words. Stay alert. Stay alert to your primary call. Stir up those prophetic words that you've received, those promises from God that you've read. Stir them up. They are your best defense and strongest weapon against the enemy of your soul. Always, always remember God's grace. His grace empowers you always. Love your loads. Dad. That's the essence of one Tim. That's the essence. Those simple words of encouragement. Now, he pads it out with some specific encouragement and direction on how to navigate certain circumstances and situations. But he is feeding love and kindness into the soul of somebody that he loves dearly. And I want to feed you this morning with words of encouragement. I want to help you defend yourself against words that come against you, that come against me, because this world is vicious. Uh, Let me ask you a question. How can you tell the difference between a wolf and a sheep? How can you tell the difference between a wolf and a sheep? (laughs) A sheep bleats, yeah. Let me tell Let me put you out of your misery. This is what I'm thinking. Because the Bible says there will be wolves in sheep's clothing. So the discernment is not on the external. They're going to look very similar. And I have known, now Colin might give me a nudge of encouragement, or maybe you'll just smile at me and say, what are you talking about? But have you ever seen farmers, when they're buying an animal, they look in their mouth? Yeah. Yeah? They're checking their teeth. Because the health of the animal is in the teeth. If the teeth are worn, they can't feed properly. And therefore, they're not going to actually be able to do what the farmer wants them to do. And I found myself thinking, yeah, the difference between a wolf and a sheep when they don't look any different on the outside, it's going to be in their mouth. It's going to be their teeth. And so I, I, found, I found myself drifting, kind of thinking about this and wondering. And then I, you know what, you, maybe you're not like me. But I'm thinking, what are teeth, what are wolf's teeth like? So I googled wolf's teeth, as you do if you're weird. (laughs) And I found that horses can be born with wolf's teeth. Have you ever heard of this? Horses can be born with wolf's teeth. And the wolf's teeth... Uh, a horse 's mouth has a, a set of teeth in the front, then a space, and then a set of grinding teeth further back and In that space, these sharp teeth grow, but it 's only in certain horses that you know some horses don 't have them and it 's a genetic thing that some horses throw these teeth out and or they, they grow and What I found was it says that these teeth these wolf 's teeth need to be removed. So that the horse's bit can actually work. With with wolf's teeth in its mouth, the horse's bit doesn't work. Because where the teeth are, the bit should be. So the, tor- the, the, the teeth stop the horse being used or being steered. And I found that fascinating. In light of what I've been thinking about, about words, and about the difference between sheep and wolves, and... When Paul is writing to Timothy, he's saying, I want to encourage you. I want to strengthen you. Because there's people talking, gossiping, infighting, and they're using all of these words. And they're designed to destroy you. They're designed to take you off track. They're designed, designed to get in your way. And so I want to explore this just a little bit. And maybe you might need to have a bit of dental work maybe. You see, Paul picked up Timothy as a young man and said, come and follow me, because he'd heard of somebody that had already done that. And so, he's modeling something that he's experienced. And so, he's pouring into Timothy, and they go in AD 55-56. They end up in Ephesus. It's recorded in Acts 18 through to 20. And they're in Ephesus, and Paul is sharing the gospel. And suddenly, the town or the city the city erupts with the consequence of his teaching. People are getting saved, and the silversmiths begin to get uh, riled and uh, upset because people are bringing books uh, and idols that they purchase that are very valuable, and they're destroying them because they've got saved, and they realize that this is inappropriate, and they're making a a decision to cut off that way of life and walk in this way of life. And there is revolution and revival in the same breath. And the the community is in uproar. And then, so they spend time there a few years, and then Timothy is left in this embryonic church that was birthed in this riotous revival where courage and faith were fashioned through the faith-filters faith-filled actions of his friend Paul so he's left in this church that's still influenced and affected by the past and by the culture and he's there from A.D. 57 on his own to A.D. 67 when this letter is written. So for 10 years, he's been journeying a traumatic situation. Now in A.D. 62, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he's writing this encouraging letter saying, don't forget who you are, don't forget who Jesus is to you, don't forget that there is a pattern, that this is how you need to, and he's just reaffirming, reaffirming, reaffirming. But years have gone by, and Timothy is left in this place, pastoring this church, this difficult place, and then Paul writes to Timothy. Ten years, ten years down the line, where where Timothy has been soldiering on, sticking at it, giving all that he's got, and Paul starts by saying this in uh, Timothy 1. In 1 Timothy, in chapter 1. He just says, first of all, this letter is from me, Paul, an apostle of Christ, appointed by the command of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gives us hope. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Grace to cope, mercy to be able to keep going, and peace not to take it personally, to be able to hold on to the one who gives peace. And so he's laying a foundation. I'm writing to encourage you. I'm writing to encourage you because I want you to keep focused on three things. As your dad in the Lord, I want you to never lose sight of your identity. Never lose sight of your identity. Your identity is core to who you are. But in your knowing your identity, you also need to make sure that you keep a handle on your purpose. Because in your identity is birthed your purpose. And then out of your purpose is birthed your destiny. And so he's saying to Timothy, this is who you are. This is who I am. But I'm encouraging you. I'm speaking life to you. And he begins to unpack words of encouragement because... He said to his son, "Listen, don't be distracted don't be robbed by these wolves using words to tear you apart don't lose sight of who you are in god don't lose sight of who you are in God. This is who you are you're a child of God you're a disciple you're a friend of jesus christ you 've been justified, declared righteous you're united with the Lord." And you are one with Him in spirit. You've been bought with a price and belong to God. You're a member of Christ's body. You've been chosen by God and adopted as His child. You've been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. You're complete in Christ. You have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. You're free from condemnation. You you are assured that God works for your good through all of these circumstances that you're in. You're free from any condemnation brought against you, and, I, and, and you cannot be separated from the love of God. You've been established, anointed, and sealed by God. You're hidden with Christ in God. You're, you're, you should be confident that God will complete the good work He started in you. You're a citizen of heaven. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You are born of God, and the evil one cannot touch you. You are a branch of Christ Jesus, the true vine and a, and a channel of his life. You've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. You're God's temple. You're a minister of reconciliation for God. You're seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly realm. You are God's workmanship. You've been approached, um, uh, you may approach God with freedom and confidence and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's a list of scripture there. But it's, it's life-giving. It's who we are. It's who you are. And it's the antidote to negativism. It's the antidote to the one that comes and accuses the brethren. It's the antidote. When negative words are spoken, we come back to who we are. Who we are. We are not defined by other people's agenda of who they think we are. And words can heal or words can hurt and we have to know who we are. We have to know who we are. We have to know what his purpose is for my life. We're going to look at these three points and what my destiny is in him because they are the antidote. So, identity. We have to know who we are. We have to understand who we are. And then out of that identity, we, we have to come to the first thing that Paul says to Timothy. Chapter 2. Oh, I need to find the other translation. Hang on a second. Here we go. He says, Most of all, I'm writing to encourage you. I'm writing to encourage you, Tim. I want you to understand who you are. I want you to be strong with courage. I want to empower your courage with my words. And so I want to say to you, pray. Pray. Pray with gratitude to God. Prayer and thanksgiving are foundational to you waging a war against the enemy who wages a war against you. Prayer. I mean, we all pray. We all pray. But how do we pray? How how should we focus our prayer? Well, Paul is telling Timothy, listen, when you pray, pray like this. Pray for every political leader and representative so that we would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the awe-inspiring God with pure hearts. But before that, he says, pray for all men. Pray for everyone. Pray for all men. And every political leader. So when you pray, if, if you've got negative thoughts coming in, negative words being spoken of you, pray for them. Pray for them. Just say, God, I'm not receiving that negative word. Let me tell you. I've, I've grown up with people who speak negative words. It's, it's called banter in man's world. It's called banter. So I used to have people shout things at me in the boatyard. Um, one of them was T-fowl. Now some of you are thinking, what? There used to be adverts for the T-fowl non-stick frying pan. And the scientist had these great big tall heads with a great big forehead. And uh, there was a particular person in the boatyard. It was a friend of mine. He would shout from his boat, maybe, I don't know, oh, half the length of this building, he would shout down the workshop, Oi! T-file! And I detested it. Something in me would rise up. And I'd say, yes? <laughs> Biting my tongue. Because... I didn't like being called t My head's normal. Ish. Ish. (laughs) See that? Ha. (laughs) Now he, okay, 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 don't go on. (laughs) But he thought it was funny. I didn't. He couldn't see how I was feeling. And I didn't tell him. Please don't call me that. And people will speak things over you. I know Ellen grew up with negative things being spoken over her. My dad's favorite insult was uh, your big girl's blouse. It sounds a bit kind of frivolous, doesn't it? A bit fluffy. Well, that's not very hard, Bill. That's not really difficult. But I'll tell you, it used to cut me as a young man. When my identity was being formed through my teenage years, to the point that he said it to me, the last time he ever said it to me, I, I broke his jaw in his eye socket with a punch, because of the rage in me that his words had generated. And they were destroying me, destroying me. And I didn't have the wisdom. <clears throat> I didn't have the wisdom as a young boy. Well, I was 17. I, I didn't know how to handle that other than to lash out. And then I become as bad. And so we have to learn to handle negative words Because the enemy wants to rob you of your identity. He wants to rob you. He wants to rob you. You're not T-fowl. You're not a big girl's blouse. Or whatever words were spoken over you or have been spoken over you. Because I hear these words spoken in jest frequently, regularly, not a million miles away from where I'm standing. I hear words spoken in jest. And when... I get five minutes. I talk to the person that was the recipient of those words. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I just feel hurt. I, I, why would they say that to me? Why do they say those? Don't they understand? No, they don't understand. It's wolf's teeth in a horse's mouth. And they need to be pulled. Paul is saying to Timothy, you make sure, you make sure, I'm encouraging you, you make sure that you pray. You pray, you pray, you press in to him, the one who can make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. And then you need to pray very specifically for those who have power in their words, in areas of responsibility, you intercede with intense passion and you pray For these political leaders and for representatives that would be able to, so that we would be able to live tranquil lives, undisturbed lives. If you listen to some of the arguments that go on in politics, these things are said even there. And if you fine tune your spirit to them, you'll see them everywhere. And then you'll begin to pray with intelligence. That the enemy's mouth is shut, that his teeth are pulled, that he becomes the gummy lion that can't bite and devour. We need to understand that our our first line of defense is prayer. It's foundational, and we need to understand who he says we are in that. And we need to give thanks, not for the persecution, but for his salvation. We need to give thanks because that thanks cements our faith bricks into the wall of defense thanksgiving builds. It strengthens us. It protects us. In Thessalonians, the first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, 16 and 17, I don't know whether you know, but Timothy was the co-author of the, the letters to the Thessalonian church. He was with Paul when Paul was writing and crafting the words of encouragement to this church. So Paul is modeled to Timothy not he's he's modeled everything that he's trying to speak into Timothy and Timothy's seen it manifest in this man that he that he loves and and respects it says let joy be your continual feast make prayer your life and your life prayer and in the midst of everything be always giving thanks for this is god's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. Your purpose is to give thanks. Your destiny is to be one of thankfulness. You're called to be thankful. We need to understand that we should be thankful because God has a plan. He's got a plan. And in his plan, his glory will fill the earth. 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 And it's, it will fill the earth through people that are thankful. Not distracted. Not, not disturbed. But actually say, I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to him. I'm listening to who I am in him. What he says about me. And I am thankful no matter how I feel. No matter what I go through. His glory through this life is going to impact this earth. And suddenly that life-affirming sense of God's faith in me, his love for me, suddenly say what you like. No, in fact, don't say what you like, but be quiet in Jesus' name and go away. Seriously, go away. Because I'm not spending time with you. I don't want to hear your negative words. They might not be over me, but I don't want to hear them over other people either. Because it's not Mm life-affirming. And I want to spend time with people who are life-affirming, not people who chew on other people. So, get out of town. Shoo. Go away. Vamoosh. Disappear. Get out of town. Whatever words. And maybe you need to say, thank you, but no thank you, and I'm just going to slowly walk in another direction. You need to never lose sight Never lose sight of the fact that God is saying, I am going to fill this earth with my glory yes. through my church, and none shall perish. That's my plan. That's my heart. That's my purpose that I've put in you, that I don't want anybody to perish. And your lifestyle choices will affect the words that you speak. The things that you do will draw people to me, and my passion, my purpose through you is that none should perish, that none should perish. Chapter 4 in 1 Timothy's uh, letter, chapter 4, 16 says, Give care and attention to your spiritual life and every cherished truth you teach. For living what you preach Will then release even more abundant life inside of you to all and to all those who listen to you. That's just an extraordinary verse. Give care and attention to your spiritual life. Give care and attention. Pay attention to who you are in Him. And as you pay attention to who you are in Him, your spiritual life, and you will realize. That Everything you teach, everything that you model has to be rooted in what you cherish, the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. So you cherish him and you model him in your life. Your life begins to flourish, this verse says, because what you preach is being lived out. And suddenly inside of you it is released the abundant life that Jesus says is yours in him. It gets released. It finds room to flourish in you, but not just you, in others too. Oh my goodness me. Then you'll have people like Linda's friend who say, basically, are just saying, What do I do to get saved? That's the abbreviated version of Linda's journey. But kind words, modeled out of lives lived well, lead people to the one that's helping you live your life well. So Ellen uh, made reference to this friend of ours that we've been uh, talking to, um, we've been praying for, but uh, we lost touch with him. Uh, He only lives locally, but we lost touch. And uh, we knew he was in a bit of a difficult place, but we didn't know what was going on for him. I bumped into him on uh, Friday evening. Uh, I was just doing some work in the gallery uh, when it, after it had closed, but I had to get something in town. And so I walked into town, walked right into him. Not literally, physically, but I walked right into him. I said, oh, hi. And he said, oh, hi, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing okay. Uh, how are you? He said, man, I've been in a dark place. Been in a dark place for 12 months nearly. Been really struggling, suicidal. Uh, depressed i've been seeing a psychiatrist i've been on medication but your text your text because i've been texting him because he's been in my mind so i've just texted, hi name hi how you doing thinking about you just praying for you and he's come back like days later saying thanks need it need some bill wisdom And so it's been kind of over months, hasn't it, this little... We haven't seen him, and I'd send a text and get nothing back for a week or two, and then, uh, thanks. Please keep praying. And so he's telling me, he stood in town, and he's saying, your text. He said, your text. Thank you. It meant everything. Thank you, and he's banging his chest. And I, I say, okay, if we... And uh, we go to leave. uh, We go to separate. And he's walking one direction and I'm walking another. So we're kind of going like this. And he's saying, Bill, Bill, your text. Coffee, coffee next week. Your text. Uh, Just saying to you, when there is life here and we think and we listen to Holy Spirit and then we think of somebody, it comes into your mind. It's so important that you respond to that nudge. Because your words of kindness, your simple text, that's why I said get your phone out. Because as I'm talking to you, maybe somebody drops into your mind. And you won't miss out if you just text them. Just say, hey, hi. Thinking of you. Listening to somebody talk and just you came into my mind. And I just say, just want to say, I really appreciate you and your, your friendship. Haven't seen you for a little while. Hope you're doing okay. If you fancy a coffee or a chat anytime just do something like that. See what God does as you exercise the abundance of life that is being stirred in you because you're cherishing truth. You're you're taking care of your spiritual life. You're making sure that what you're doing with him is life affirming, not life robbing. See, another translation of that verse says this, stay true to who you are in Christ. Stay true to who you are. So I'm not saying do something that's abnormal, but play to your strengths. Because maybe you're the kind of person who goes and knocks on somebody's door. Just say, hey, I was passing and thought I'd come and say hi. Because culturally that's convenient for you and comfortable for you. Or maybe you're a texter. Or maybe you're an emailer. Or a Facebook message or whatever. Just get in touch. Do something. But do it out of who you are in Christ. Because it says this. Stay true to who you are in Christ. It ensures salvation for you and everyone who hears the sound of your voice. Listen, if you don't take, pay attention to that verse of Scripture, His glory will never fill this earth through your life. It won't. It won't because you'll just go drifting along. But if you're not paying attention to who you are in Christ... Oh man, I read you a list from Neil Anderson's book, Bondage Breaker, because you see, when we identify with who we are as who we are in Christ, it breaks the chains, it closes the mouth, it robs Satan of his ability to control us with words whispered, because the power of the wolf is in its mouth. It's got claws, but it doesn't have claws like a bear. It has claws like a dog. It doesn't damage with its claws. It damages with its mouth. And Jesus says, there will be wolves among you that will look like sheep. And some of the people that you hang around with at times, who say they're full of Christ, will actually speak words of death. And you know, from time to time, we all do it. We all do it. And what I want to say is there is no condemnation. So I don't want you feeling bad. I want you to get righteous indignation rising up. So you begin to listen to the words that you speak. And you choose to actually pull your teeth out that are wolf's teeth. You have a little bit of dentistry done. And you can do it yourself. So, so Paul has encouraged Tim to be prayerful, to be thankful. And then he says, I want you to stay focused. Listen, everybody that hears you is going to, potentially they can meet me because of what is flowing out of you. So don't allow the enemy to rob you or to distract you because here's some of the wolf's teeth that Paul mentions to Timothy. He doesn't call them teeth, I'm calling them teeth, but he just says you've got people who have got deceptive doctrines in your mix. You've got people that are stirring up cultural myths, bringing... uh, Spooky voodoo into church, bringing other cultures into church. You've got traditions. You can't do it like that. We've always done it like this. You can't have the organ there, you've got to have it over here. I got shouted at one day by an 88 year old lady, bless her cotton socks, and she really ripped into me because you've moved the organ. This was a Sunday morning in Calvaria. I was just about ready to start the service. There was only like 15 people there. So I'm just going around saying hello. And I moved the mic down because I was shouting then. I say, good morning. And she said, you've moved the organ. I said, uh, no. She said, you've got rid of the organ. I said, no, I haven't. Because I'm not giving it an inch. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. She said, yes, you have. No, I haven't. It's over there, look. She you've moved it. I said, yeah. She said, why have you moved it? Because nobody plays it. And it's broken. Well, why don't you learn? <laughs> so I said, why don't you? You like the organ? And walked off. Because and, and I'm just about to kind of lead the service. And, and she didn't mean to hurt me. But out of her mouth was coming pain because I'd broken a tradition, moved the organ. And so you've got to guard, because sometimes, you know, we're bitten by people who don't want to really hurt us, but they don't realize that they've got they've got wolf's teeth. I should have had a set of false teeth, shouldn't I, and stuck them in. <laughs> Big gnarly gnashes. Then he says, you've got endless studies of genealogies, and you've got debates going on. You've got speculations. You've got people teaching things that are full of empty words. You've got arguments. You've got presumption. You've got ignorance. You've got idle talk. You've got liars full of words that are designed to rob you. You've got foolish talk. And you've got people who are looking down on you and criticizing you. Here's a raft that Paul lays out for Tim. These are words that are designed to rob you of your destiny. These are words that are designed to take you away from God's plan for your life, Tim. Don't you lose sight of who you are in him. Don't you lose sight of God's purpose for you. Don't you lose sight of his destiny, that he's planned for you. that You will give him glory all the days of this life and for eternity. Don't you dare lose sight of it. Don't be distracted by these uh, words spoken by wolves. Pull their teeth. Their purpose is to to distract. Your purpose is to give glory. Pull the teeth, and you do that. Paul Paul says to Tim, you do that by simply doing this. Follow your commission faithfully. Keep a clear conscience with no blemish. Remember that. Remember all that has been deposited within you. Get away from the empty echoes of men's words that are designed to unsettle you. Chapter 4, verse 14, he says this. Don't minimize the powerful gift that operates in your life. And I want to say the same to you. Do not minimize the powerful gift that resides in you. The Spirit of God has been given to you so that you can be all that God plans for you to be. But you have to take that seriously you have to take that seriously and understand that he has put something in you for his glory. For it was imparted to you by the laying on of hands of the elders. It was, a, it was activated through the prophecy they spoke over you. And as I wrote those words, I thought, oh, people are going to use this sentence to get out of that. They're going to say, I haven't got a prophetic word over me. Well, I want to. Say yes, you have, because if you've been here in this church for any length of time, I've prophesied over you. We did a Sunday that felt like two Sundays because I listed your names. Do you remember? And I prophesied what your name meant, and because I felt God said prophesy, so you cannot tell me you do not have a prophetic word. And I'm saying to you, it needs to be, it needs to be stirred. It needs to be stirred. Resolute protector is mine, William means resolute protector. And so what I'm doing this morning is being resolute in helping you to protect yourself. Because I can't be with you wherever you are. I cannot close your ears when negative words are spoken over you. I cannot guard your heart with my hands or my words all the time. You have to. And so I am resolutely trying to help you protect yourself from wolves that will come and whisper words over you. Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? You? You lived a life like this. You did that. My identity's in Christ. Shut your mouth. Don't be rude, of course. But inside, don't mess with the Lord's anointed. You have to be resolute. You have to be determined that you are going to be who you are called to be, who God says you are. So what has he spoken over you? Rhetorical question. You don't have to shout it out to me. But what's God said to you? What prophetic words have you got in your life? What has he whispered to you? What do you read in Scripture that ignites a fire? What, what stirs your heart? Or are you just wandering through life? What does your name mean? If you need to be reminded, I was going to bring my notes and um, put them up here and just say I can remind you of what your name means. Just start there. Start with the list of, of scriptures that I read out that Neil Anderson uh, gathered from scripture about who, your ident- who you are in him, what your identity is. So, Because scripture speaks over us, just start there and begin to build a foundation of strength and faith and take those words of life and say, this is who I am this is who I am. I'm a child of the king. I'm a prince or a princess. I'm a child of the king. I'm forgiven. I'm not condemned. I'm full of his spirit. I'm his witness. I'm grafted into the vine. I'm a branch in his vine. I am just destined for fruitfulness. That's who I am. It's who I am. And then this question is maybe a little bit more, I'll say it nicely. What do you speak over others? What do you speak over others? Nice to see you. Boldy. <laughs> Seriously, David, it's, it's said at times, people tease people with, uh, you know, people with receding hair or thin hair or no hair. I know, they are, yeah. But And so you have to be resolute to protect yourself. You know? Ooh. You know? What are you oh, that, ooh, What are you wearing? And our defence mechanism is, oh, this is just something old. I've had this for ages, or I got it as a bargain. You know, we bought a we bought a Mercedes car that was really cheap. It was a bit of a banger, really, but it was the most expensive car we have ever bought, and it was like five thousand pounds. This was a few years ago now, and we would come to church early, and we would leave really late so that nobody saw us driving it. Seriously, because I had, I had one bloke say to me, "Who? how posh are you? you got a Mercedes. Ho, ho, ho. And I said, your Ford is worth three times what my car's worth, and you're taking the rip out of me? You see, he didn't mean to hurt me. He thought it was humorous, but it's hurtful. So what is your words like? What's your language like? You know, because the wolf's teeth, let me just maybe make some suggestions. They would be controlling words. Who do you think you are? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? They would be cutting words. Huh, that was terrible. You got the brains of a gnat or the brains of a rocking horse or... Just cutting words, or your big girl's blouse. They could be guilt-tripping. Why weren't you? Bill and Ellen both mentioned the fact that there weren't very many people in church on Sunday. Where were you? Seriously. Not, you know, there weren't many people in. And I really missed you in the crowd. Which is a completely different, it's the same observation, but it's words of life. Not words of death. Because they're not guilt-tripping, they're actually liberating. I hope you had a great day. I missed you so much. I was praying for you while Bill was talking. I just felt prompted to pray for you because you weren't here. And you're an always present. And I was just praying that noth- hopefully nothing had happened and that you know you weren't having a tough time, but that you were able to rest and enjoy yourself wherever you were and just were aware of God's presence because I was praying for you because I missed you. Not guilt tripping, but it's touching on the same subject. Missed you. Critical, unkind, rude, judgmental, belittling, TFal. crushing, big ed, joking. Oh, I hate that. Just joking. Just joking. So that people say something cutting or horrible and just say, "Oh, just joking." Well, no, it's not joking. Mm, it's very quiet in here, and I don't mean to pressurize you or make you feel awkward, but maybe I do. Because you see, if God's glory is going to fill this earth, it has to be flowing, it has to be seen in righteous men and women who press in, who aren't snowed under, catowed, catowed, or uh, restricted in any way by the wolf wanting to take a bite out of them. See, Proverbs 15, 4 says this, and I'm nearly finished. When you speak healing words, you offer others fruit from the tree of life. But unhealthy negative words do nothing but crush their hopes. Proverbs, that's Proverbs 15, verse 4 in the New Living Translation. When we speak healing words, you offer others fruit from the tree of life. And I want to say to you as a dad, choose to speak life. Choose to speak life. Work at speaking life. Work at taking the wolf's teeth out of your own mouth so that the Holy Spirit can steer and guide you where he wants you, to take you into relationships, to build friendships, where you speak nothing but life. Nothing but life. Nothing but life. And people see the one who's given you life. Manifests through your life full of him. I, um, after I bumped into this gentleman friend of mine in town, I did what I needed to do, and then I was walking back through to the gallery, and you can go through that little alley there, you know, the little gap, and um, in front of me was this tiny gray-haired lady walking very kind of uh, uncertainly through this alleyway. And I became acutely aware that this big bloke looms up behind her in this alley. And I want... So I don't want her to feel awkward or uncomfortable because I'm suddenly there right behind her. So I said, um, It's lovely walking out into the sunshine, isn't it? And she said... It is, but I'm struggling to see where I'm going because the, the light was kind of quite intense. And uh, and then with that, she's out of the doorway space and I walk past and walk to the car. And uh, then she comes, you know, how you can park the cars up against the wall. She's walking between the cars and the wall and, uh, and I'm getting something out of the car. And she says, is this your car? And I said, yeah, well, actually it's my wife's car. She said, oh, what a lovely car. What a lovely color! And I said, "Yeah, it is. It is a lovely color, and it is a nice color." And, um, and I said, "Where are you off to then?" Because she's in this back alley space, and she said, "I'm walking home, but it's it's really difficult because it's so warm, and um, and it's it's quite it's just quite challenging." Where are you going? I said, Queen Victoria Road. I said, "Can I give you a lift?" Really? Then I'm acutely aware of all the health and safety things that kick in. And I don't take ladies in a car anywhere. I never do that. Um, but I thought maybe I'm safe. <laughs> so I said, I'm, my name's Bill Chapman, and I'm a pastor of a local church. Because I wanted to reassure her. Yeah. I wanted her to, my kindness, I wanted to be reassuring kindness. Not kind of, oh my gosh, who is this weird bloke? Yeah. Kind of kindness. And so I helped her get in the car and I just drove her down to her house and then escorted her across the road and she said thank you and waved and went into her house. And I didn't say anything about Jesus but I hope that she felt special after that moment. Just some kindness that overflows out of me into her. And then maybe when I see her again one day I might say, hi, and chat and have an opportunity. And so I want to challenge you. We sang a song that had a line in it, make something beautiful out of me. Make something beautiful out of me. Then if you use cutting words to control your children, if you use cutting words to cement your friendship, pack it in. If you use cutting words as part of your humor, ask God to help you to shift away from words of death and choose to use in your humor, in your kindness, words of life. Words of life. Because if my friend had shouted at me, oh, beautiful forehead! (laughs) It would have been funny. Best looking forehead in the workshop! It would have been hysterical. And it wouldn't have been cutting. It would have been funny. And it would have been caring. Because he's taking the mickey, but he's caring that he doesn't hurt me. And so use humor sensitively. But use your words to bring life, not death. If you struggle, just go and see the spiritual dentist. He's called Holy Spirit. He'll pull your teeth. There'll be no pain you'll find that words of life will flow and he will be able to steer you and guide you so that the people that meet you get saved. Their lives transformed. I'm going to read one last portion of Paul's encouragement. Wake up. Chapter 4. Verses, oh no, sorry. Well, it's the same thing, but it's. Uh, I'm going to read it in chapter 1. Same words. Chapter 1, 18 and 19. So Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with this responsibility. In keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry, in keeping with the prophecies spoken over you, with this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. For there are many who reject these virtues and are not and are now destitute of the true faith. I could tell you many stories of times when I've had words of death spoken over me. And I've seen those people, unrepentant, disappear from faith. They're no longer walking with Jesus. Their children don't walk with Jesus. And it breaks my heart. And as a resolute protector, I want you to not go down that route. just so happens that none of the people that speak negative are here today. They're all away. And it's only the people that speak life who are listening to my words. So choose, choose what words you'll use. Choose your agenda, not somebody else's, and speak words of life with a clean conscience. With a clean conscience, you know. Sometimes we make mistakes, but if you've got a clean conscience, you say, "Oh, I'm sorry." I'm sorry. Somebody told me that they'd said something a little bit kind of tongue-in-cheek, jesting to somebody, and they'd rung them up and said, that really hurt. You really hurt me. And they were heartbroken and said, I'm so sorry. I never meant to hurt you. It was stupid of me to say that because it seemed funny in the moment. And we've all done that. So polish up your conscience, clean it up, stay right with God, see what he does, Because your identity needs to be clear to you. Your purpose needs to be clear to you. Your destiny needs to be clear to you. Who you are, the prophecies, the scriptures, describe that. Why you're alive? It's that none should perish. That's why you're alive. That through your life, through the words that you speak, God's plan that none perish, you will play your part in it. And God's plan for you is that his grace is your power, your strength, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. ever. Is that seven? And ever, just in case. So, Father, would you help us to be people... who know our identity in you, who are clear in our purpose, uh, that we understand our destiny and that the enemy of our soul will not be able to distract us, rob us or destroy us from giving you glory and people getting saved. So Father, would you help us Would you stir us? For those of us that use cutting, biting words, we need to repent. We need to apologize. And I would suggest that in this moment, you just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those words I spoke. I'm sorry for those things that I've said and the humor that I've used over the years. I'm sorry. And then you need to begin to give thanks. God, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. I'm going to fill my words with life. Because that what is in my heart will come out of my mouth. And it will be for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.